0: Good morning, TCC Church. Uh, my name is Dave Owen. My wife, Marlis, is on the far side, and this is Deanna McCarr. Uh, Marlis and I have been attending TCC for about four years, and Deanna is about three weeks. The scripture reading uh, for today is from the book of Acts, uh, beginning in chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And Saul was uh, given approval to his death. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison." Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Dave and Marlis and Deanna. For, and David and Marlis for looking after Deanna. Um, if you haven't connected the dots, Deanna is one of our uh, Ukrainian uh, friends who we are helping find a, a new home here in Canada. Um, I know that her heart and her mind would be no doubt back home with... Uh, Her father is still in Ukraine, and her sister, younger sister, and mom are in Germany, still trying to make sense of all of what uh, is in store for them and where they might go. So we want to pray for the Makar family, and uh, again, I know I've had some email exchanges with your father. He's probably even watching uh, again today, so that's great. Um, Well, Tina and I, this September, are celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. Actually... It's uh, it's it's three years late. We're celebrating our 28th anniversary, but we weren't able to really do anything uh, significant due to personal circumstances and stuff that was going on in our lives. And so, we're looking forward uh, to having kind of a bit of a bucket list trip in September. Um, But what you may not know about Tina and I, like Tina is American. She's from Cleveland, Ohio. I was born and raised here in Edmonton. I was, after graduation from seminary, I was serving a church in Calgary. Took a group of high school students down to a conference in Chicago, of course. And uh, on the second day of the conference, I stand up uh, after lunch and uh, turn this way, and Tina's about two chairs over, and she stands up at the same time. I think she timed it, actually. No, not at all, because I'll ruin the illustration. She stands up, and we kind of are both standing there with our trays full of empty uh, dishes and such. And so I introduce myself. We start having this conversation. And, uh, well, here we are almost 28 years later. So you know how that went. Some might say that that was just a chance encounter. That, that, that somehow, you know, on that day there was some great cosmic event and all the planets lined up and, uh, and, you know, sparks flew and it was destiny. Or we might say that it was evidence of the sovereignty of God at work in both of our lives. Bringing people from vastly different places together uh, in the same place at the same time. In the same cafeteria, there were about 1,200 people total, probably 1,000 students and 200 leaders. Uh, They split the lunch shift kind of in two um, so that there was kind of the, the, the first wave and the second wave. But here we were in the same place at the same time. And ever since that coincidental meeting, which of course it wasn't, You know, some say that coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous. I've been singing, since Tina came into my heart. Since Tina came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll since Tina came into my heart. Now, you have to be about 100 years old to get the reference to that hymn. But the fact remains that when we enter into a meaningful relationship there's great joy and that's what happens when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ that when we receive him as our Lord and Savior when we receive this good news there is in fact great joy so this may sound a little bit like a Christmas message today reminder that Jesus came lived died rose again ascended into heaven and is coming back well, for many of us, it was this encounter with Jesus that actually changed our lives. And we heard the good news of Jesus, and we entered into the joy of that relationship. We talk about our mission at TCC as being uh, this to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to share Jesus. To know Jesus is to enter into a relationship where we then know Him personally. And then we continue to understand more of his truth and who he is and how he lived and how he wants us to live. And then we walk that out every day in the reality of the routine and mundane activities of our lives. And then as we are going about our days, we are watching for opportunities to share Jesus. And so our mission really engages our head in knowing Jesus, our heart in terms of walking with Jesus, and our hands in terms of sharing Jesus. And it's this last piece, the sharing Jesus, that I want to talk about today. Another word that we might be more familiar with, well, sharing Jesus is pretty straightforward, of course, but another word that's synonymous with this is evangelism. And it's this practice, I believe, of evangelism that we need to recapture. Uh, by looking at Acts chapter 8 this morning, the first eight verses were read for us, I hope to maybe demystify evangelism a little bit. Maybe it won't be so scary for us. And just a question to get you thinking a little bit about this, uh, and I, I hope that I'm not misreading this. I just think in our culture, all the statistics I read, that I've read, that as followers of Jesus... We get, we get kind of knowing Jesus, and we spend time in his word, and we get to know him, and we're walking this out, and we're engaging in practices of prayer and silence and solitude. But when it comes to this practice of evangelism, we are not as engaged as we ought to be. In fact, a recent Canadian study of over two—just even post-pandemic here or in the, in the latter late, last few months— That of over 2,000 pastors and church leaders in Canada, they were surveyed. Only uh, there were 65% of pastors and church leaders that had basically declared that they were not prioritizing evangelism. And as I was preparing for this message, I painfully realized that too many of my own evangelism experiences are from the past, the distant past. And over the last few weeks, we've been studying uh, the early church as recorded in the book of Acts and seeing the church come alive because of the activity of God. And there was just this excitement and this activity that was going on. It's been a bit of a kick in the pants for me, to be honest. And I realize that I, too, need to be more intentional and active about evangelism. And so I hope that you might be encouraged today maybe even inspired a little bit, to share your story. And I challenge you then to do the same. Well, let me first set the scene, because like any historical drama, there are important details that make it memorable, places and characters and events and timelines. And so in Acts, we've seen this church set in motion, and that's kind of been the the subtitle to our series that we've been in called Startup, a study in the book of Acts, or The Church Set in Motion. You remember, perhaps, if you were here from the beginning, or you've read it recently in the opening chapters, Jesus' commission, where he says to his disciples that you will be my witnesses. And he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes in power. And then, then Peter goes on, and he makes this incredible speech telling people about Jesus. And, and, they're, and the, the Scripture says they're cut to the heart. And their response then is, well, what do we do? What do we have to do? And so Peter tells them they need to repent and believe. To repent and believe. And so everything was going well in this early church, maybe too well. But over the last few weeks, we've also have been seeing that this opposition towards this message and towards Christianity had started to build. Peter and John so far had been um, arrested twice, beaten once, and the antagonism now towards Christians intensifies, and in chapter 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr. Pastor Quinn took us through that passage last week, and with uh, Stephen's death, persecution is ratcheted up even more. And so this persecution that is now coming hard against the church chases the followers of Jesus out of Jerusalem, all, it says, except for the apostles themselves. And so these Christians, these early believers, they're scattered, which, interestingly enough, led then to widespread evangelism, and we'll talk a little bit about why that happened. Because as they were scattered, it meant that the message of Jesus was now reaching more and more people. And so ultimately, the death of Stephen resulted in more growth. The exact opposite of what the religious authorities were trying to accomplish. And a central figure in this persecution is a man by the name of Saul. And in verse 1 in our text today, it says that Saul approved of their killing him. So, so he was present when Stephen was martyred, when he was killed for his faith. And Saul approved of it. And in verse 3 we read that Saul began to destroy the church. And so here was a man with blood on his hands. It says that he went house to house and dragged off both men and women to prison for no other reason than their faith in Jesus Christ their goal was to wipe out the church and instead it forced them these early believers then to leave the comfort of Jerusalem and they headed out towards Judea and Samaria so if you remember that was all part of Jesus' commission and so we see here that God's plan and his purposes are now actually becoming a reality Because it's no longer just in in Jerusalem, it's now being spread to Judea and Samaria. And verse 4 tells us that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, they may have been scared and they may have fled for their lives out of Jerusalem, but we understand here that they did not remain silent. Now, this verse doesn't mean that everyone became a preacher. It simply means that everyone talked about Jesus, that they engaged in conversations about Jesus. And friends, you and I know that every day, if we would pay attention, we would have the opportunity to talk about Jesus. Through simple conversations, through routine activities, we would have the opportunity to share Jesus. Now, obviously, we live in a very different time, in a ver- very different place, because in this cultural moment, in this day and age, at this point in Canada, persecution to the degree that the early church experienced it is not something that most of us have ever experienced. And yes, absolutely, in some countries, sharing Jesus will get you into significant trouble. You could be thrown in prison. And yes, some even are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ today in the world. But if talking about Jesus won't land us in jail, or worse, why are we then so hesitant? And I believe it's simply because we do live in a culture that pushes back against Christianity. They have all sorts of reasons and accusations about the Christian faith, sometimes without even fully understanding it. In many instances, they don't actually want to hear about the gospel. They don't want to hear the good news. Because the good news is, in fact, a response to the bad news, and nobody likes bad news. And yet, after all of what we've been through, it seems to me that people are asking a lot of big questions. Their worlds, like ours, have been shaken. They're trying to make sense of it all. And so we do live in a very unique time and have this incredible opportunity to engage people in conversations about Jesus. Because in many instances, we do have answers to the questions they're asking. We can't say, well, we know that God created you, that God loves you, that God cares for you. that there's a Jesus who died for you. So what about this practice of sharing Jesus? How do we go about doing this? I believe that there's ultimately great joy when we share the good news, when we see the the, the results of transformed lives. So how does this happen? So I hope you are maybe taking some notes this morning. We do have little note sheets that are just kind of Five and a half by eight and a half uh, sheets. Where, um, if you're on the way in, you can pick one of those up and just stick in the front of your Bible. And maybe you want to jot a few things down if you don't usually have a journal or something like that. But number one, we trust that God is already at work. That's where where it starts. That even perhaps in the face of opposition, we know that God is at work and that He is doing something. In verse 5, we, we see the main character in this unfolding drama is now a man by the name of Philip. He was one of the seven that, back in Acts chapter 6, was appointed to wait on the tables. And he, we're told, went down to a city in Samaria. And so we just stop there and say, well, what do we know about Samaria? Where, where is this place that he's going to? And, and without getting into too many details, I think we can just say this, that the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't talk to each other. But that's, in fact, where Philip goes to proclaim the Messiah. And so for Philip to leave Jerusalem and go to Samaria, he's, in fact, um, entering into a cross-cultural missions experience for him. But make no mistake, he's entering into hostile territory. There was not a good relationship between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And verse 12 is, A significant verse, it's an important marker because there Luke tells us, but when they, that is the Samaritans, they believed Philip. And what did they believe about Philip? They believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. And so right there in verse 12, it records the very first time non-Jews responded then to this gospel message. Remember earlier in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I've made reference to this already, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this is exactly what Philip is doing. And in doing so, the purpose and plan of God is becoming a reality. But it was not an easy place for Philip to go. It wasn't a comfortable place. It's just that God had already gone ahead of him. And he was at work. And there was another challenge facing Philip besides the culture that he was engaging in. This time it was a key figure in the city, by the, a man by the name of Simon. And verse 9 introduces us to him. He said that he had been in the city for some time and that he was somebody who practiced sorcery. And evidently he was pretty amazing at it. So he was this magician with this significant power. He was a pretty big deal. Well, at least he thought so, because verse 9 flat out says that he, that Simon, boasted that he was someone great. So he had a bit of a, an ego problem, we might say. Well, all the people in the city knew him as well. And they said of him, this man is rightly called the great power of God, because they mistakenly believe that his magic acts were, in fact, God acts. But if you're called as you're walking down the street, hey, there goes the great power of God, you can appreciate that this might have gone to his head. Now, I realize that much more could be said here, and this is probably where the emails will come. Well, you didn't cover this, and you skipped this. You skipped the really difficult, awkward part, and yeah, you're right. But I'm focusing on the theme of evangelism this morning, and I don't really have time to go into all of what actually happens there. But my point is this, is that simply by going into Samaria and even confronting Simon, this was not an easy or comfortable path for Philip. So what gave him the confidence to go? I think it's simply because he understood that God was going ahead of him, and he trusted him, and he soon saw that God was at work. Friends, when we share Jesus, when we talk about Jesus, whatever the environment may be, we should actually expect opposition. Now, we don't need to be obnoxious about it. We'll get into that, But in the midst of those conversations, in the midst of some of that opposition, we need to believe that that God is at work. Uh, That conference that Tina and I met at in 1993, um, uh, it was actually a youth conference designed around training and, and equipping students to do evangelism and missions. And so we did training in the mornings, and in the afternoon we practiced. And we would go out on the beaches and the streets of uh, around Chicago and we would look for people and we had these four questions. And the whole point was just to try to quickly engage people in spiritual conversations. I was a leader and I was scared. I was so out of my comfort zone, I didn't want to do this. And so we walked and we walked. We're like, should we talk? No, like, oh, no, it's not. Just avoid them. You know, don't make eye contact. Whatever. Because um, maybe your, eye, you know, your, your life is in danger. And they always said, because we were right downtown and we're at Moody Bible Institute, is like, you go the wrong way. That's death. That way is life. So, so that's, that, that was kind of ringing in our mind. We never wanted to get disoriented and go into the death section of Chicago. And so, so we're out there and I see a guy and I think he was like just kind of cleaning off uh, his, his shoes and, and some water. And I just felt like, I need to go, this is the guy. He's by himself, nobody else is around, and we're with, I'm with a couple of other students. And so I just go up and I says, hi, my name is Norbert. And he looks at me and he just starts laughing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, lots of people laugh at my name, you know, thanks to my German heritage. And, you know, i start trying to make all this. And he goes, no, 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 it's because my name is Norberto. He was a Spanish guy. Can you imagine like what are the odds of finding this random stranger and starting a conversation and we have one letter difference in our name and we had this instant connection and we had this great conversation? God goes before us. He's working in the lives of people that you live next to, that you work with. He he is at work. At the end of August, we are going to have the privilege of having Nick and Iris here. They're missionaries that we support as a church. They're missionaries to East Asia, you know where that is. Um, And they're going to talk about their work. It's definitely not an easy place to be missionaries, to talk about Jesus. But we know that God is at work around the world. And so we look forward to hearing from them. So this, trust first and foremost that God is already at work. Second, leverage prayer. Leverage prayer. See, there is a very significant spiritual connection between evangelism and prayer, and we've seen this in other places in the book of Acts already, that prayer was absolutely vital to this early church, and here in chapter 8, prayer is just kind of woven throughout, and Peter and John prayed for the the new believers in verse 15, and so I want to just quickly say this. Just, Just think about two prayers that we could each pray every single morning. One is, Lord, use me. Just start there. Lord, use me. And then secondly, pray for specific people by name. And engage in that level of spiritual battle. To say, Lord, use me. I want to be an instrument of yours. I want to be able to bring peace and hope to the places that I'm going to today. I want to bring encouragement. I want to, I want to be your hands and feet, Jesus, so use me. And then there's Sally or Bill or whoever there is, but pray for them by name. Because prayer ultimately demonstrates our dependence on God. And when we enter into evangelism conversations, we need to recognize again the words of Jesus that apart from me, you can do nothing. That apart from me, you can do nothing. So leverage prayer. Thirdly, Listen then carefully for the promptings of the Spirit. Listen carefully for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, So God needs to break into Philip's life. He's going and doing one thing, and God has another plan for him and he says, I need you to do this. And the way he sends that message is through an angel who then goes on to give him very specific instructions. And it says this, go south to the road. You know, that desert road that goes down from Jerusalem all the way to Gaza. This was a 100-kilometer journey. And so, verse 27, Philip Listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, this angel says to him, go, and so he started out. And then in verse 29 again, the Spirit told Philip, now go to that chariot and stay near it. So evidently, somewhere along this road that he's walking on, there's now a chariot, and now the Spirit says to him, go and stay near it. In verse 30, Philip ran up to the chariot. So in all of these occasions, you, you see that Philip is being very responsive to the promptings of the Spirit. And so this goes back to my very first point, that if we trust that God is already work and we are praying, Lord, use me, use me to speak hope and life and, 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 and truth into, you know, so-and-so's life, then we're going to be that much more attentive to the promptings of God. And a chance encounter might actually become a divine appointment. And just as in this event, God orchestrated the movement of these two men in such a way that their paths cross on this desert road. Just think of all the things that had to line up for them to meet. This is not by chance. This is God at work. And so listen carefully for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, leave margin to love well. Now, this one isn't maybe specifically in the text, but I think it's important because I think it follows that if we're going to be in a position to respond to the promptings of God, that we need to leave some margin in our lives to love well. You see, we can't respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit if we don't have time and space, if we haven't created it, if we're constantly busy and running and overcommitted. What do we then actually do when the Holy Spirit says, stop, stop? help that person talk to that person we're like oh sorry god can't do it today because i'm late and we carry on i mean what if philip instead of immediately responding to the the angel and the spirit just said you know nah i got better things to do i got i got more important things to do i mean i i've been out preaching to the crowds don't you know that god People in droves have been coming to trust and put their faith in Jesus. Why why should I spend my time, waste my time with just one person? Friends, can I encourage you today that evangelism may be as simple as us practicing hospitality, where where we intentionally make an effort to meet our neighbors, to get to know them. And maybe it's literally the person that lives next door. But maybe it's the person in the cubicle next to you and the, you know, in the, wherever you find yourself during the week. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's somebody that you have a locker next to. Maybe it's through kids' sports or kids' activities. But we all have these places that every day in the routine activities of the day, we are engaging with people who don't know Jesus. And maybe… Just maybe God put us there to bring about the plans and purposes that he has for that individual's life. We don't know how God will use us. Now, this might get a little harder as we get older. Maybe we don't have some of those natural connections. You know, we've retired, so we don't have work colleagues. Our kids have grown. We're not at sports. What do we do then? Besides play pickleball, Um, which may be a great way to connect with people. Anyway, sorry. No offense to those of you who play pickleball. pickleball. Please no emails. Um, but our experience as a family in our part completely changed what we did here when we came, to, came back to Edmonton and our kids are grown. And as they got older, we, we had different circles of friends. But when they were in kids' soccer, like some of the friends that we had were other people who didn't know Jesus, but our kids played soccer together. And so we would hang out together. I intentionally played soccer when I wasn't getting injured all the time. I was younger, and it was fun. It was every Friday night, and after a game, we'd go to a pub or, or a restaurant or wherever, and we'd have some wings and have a drink, and we'd talk. And it wasn't like every time, but oftentimes, the conversation led to spiritual things. But if we aren't intentional, if we don't make time and space, I think it makes it harder for us to then be in a position to love well. What do I mean by loving well? I think one of the great gifts that we can give is when the next step is when we learn to ask good questions. Learn to ask good questions. Again, we need to be trusting that God is at work. He's trusting that the Holy Spirit has gone before us. And in this situation now, this Ethiopian man, he was already on a faith journey. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship, it says. He was interested in the things of God. He was reading the book of Isaiah, it happens, which would have been this, this large scroll. It also happens that he was reading Isaiah 53, If you haven't read Isaiah 53, it's probably the the key chapter in the entire book of Isaiah that points to Jesus. And not only was he reading this, he was actually reading out loud. Because it says that Philip, remember, he came next to the chariot, and he heard him reading. And he gets an opportunity, and so Philip asks, verse 30, do you understand what you are reading? With a simple question, he gets the conversation going. And this question then leads to three more, all asked by this Ethiopian man. First of all, verse 31, well, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And then verse 34, who is the prophet talking about? In verse 36, what then can stand in the way of me being baptized? So you see how the, the conversation ends up going. And I love scenes like this because we can kind of picture it, can't we? Because this is an historical event that actually happened. And maybe some of you feel this way. Maybe you're a little bit like the Ethiopian today. You you know, you're interested, you're here. Maybe you're online, or maybe something intrigued you to kind of click that link, and you're watching this YouTube video, and you still haven't shut it off, which is maybe a miracle in itself. But there you are. And maybe you've tried to read the Bible, but you're having a hard time understanding it. And so the conversation might go just like the one that's recorded here in these verses. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, no, actually, I don't. I need some help. Can you help me understand it? Can you help me understand it? And the door has just been opened. Maybe just a little. But there's an opportunity for an ongoing conversation. Now, we don't enter into these conversations looking for an opportunity to pounce. You know, we're going to stuff Jesus down their throat. No. Uh, Daryl Johnson, he's an author and a pastor at a church in Vancouver, and he says this, evangelism is joining the conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with another person. It's joining the conversation that the Holy Spirit is already having with the other person. And so again, the Holy Spirit is leading. We're following His prompting. He's there in the conversations. We're asking Him for, for you know, what, what, what's a good follow-up question? What, can I, what should I say? And the Holy Spirit stays after the conversation ends, continues to do the work. And our role simply is to come in and to listen carefully, then to ask good questions because there's such power in questions. It, it just plants seeds. It gets, gets people thinking so we need to be genuinely interested in getting to know our neighbors and then just to love, love, love. And maybe someday God will orchestrate the events that you're there, that when the door opens, we're prepared to speak. Hey, it sounds like you have some unanswered questions. Maybe we can go for coffee and talk about them. Would you be interested in going to church with me? Hey, we do this thing called Alpha. Maybe you've heard about it. Would you like to come? I'll go with you. Right? And as, as Pastor Steve shared, that's what Alpha is. It's, it's designed for people who have no faith, who want to explore Christianity. It's a place where people can go with their questions. And God is using that. Okay? So then, here in verse 34, the Ethiopian asks the question So, who is he talking about? And so, number six, that opens the door to be prepared to share. good news to be prepared to share the good news verse 35 once the Ethiopian then asked him after they read through Isaiah 53 it's about Jesus but he doesn't know that so he says who is he talking about the door has been opened and Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus it's always the best place to start isn't it to start Our conversations about Jesus with Jesus? His coming? You know, that's why, you know, Christmas is a great time to have those conversations. What's Christmas all about? God becoming the incarnation, becoming one of us. Why? So you could live a sinless life, ultimately be this perfect sacrifice to die on the cross? Die in place of sinners, and that's the good news, because I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, but because he died, the, the penalty for sins has been paid, and I, I'm forgiven, and you can be forgiven too. I've been saved. You can be too. Because God created you, He loves you, He ordered your steps and mind. Do you realize, friend, do you realize, neighbor, that we're not just having this conversation by chance? Be prepared to share the good news. And lastly, then leave the results up to God. Leave the results up to God. And this is where I hope the whole pressure can just lift. Because the Ethiopian, he got it. Because his last question, verse 36, look, here's water, why shouldn't I be baptized? Right? Our story may be very similar. That maybe... We're having this conversation, and we're, 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 we're interested, and we're, we're going to church maybe because there's just something that kind of drew me to that, and I was exploring, and I was trying to ask questions. And then one day it all comes together, and we respond to God's initiative, and we put our faith in Jesus Christ because ultimately I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was the faith declaration that the Ethiopian made, and then he was baptized, I have to at least point that out because getting baptized ultimately becomes this public profession of faith. And that's why when we lift this lid here and we fill this tank full of water, we ask those being baptized to tell a little of their story. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? See, we put so much pressure on ourselves around this subject, and I think that's what scares us. We feel this weight and this pressure, but it's not on us. We just simply have to be present, be good listeners, love people well, pray for them. Of course, we may be scared when it comes to some of those conversations. It can be as simple as, listen, it sounds like you're really hurting. Can I pray for you? they've opened the door and we're invited into someone's life we take an opportunity to pray for them and prayer in that way just becomes this way that we express deep love and compassion for someone this small little opening well can i pray for you now try that next time don't say hey i'm praying for you say hey would it be okay if I prayed for you right now? And in Acts, we see what the followers of Jesus did, and we see ultimately how God responded, and it was the Lord that added to their number because it is God that is at work, and it's not on us. Now, let me just conclude by saying a couple of little quick things. Just You see, I believe that there's all sorts of parallels and applications for us today. You know, we gather... In this way or online. We're we're, we're gathering together to have the shared experience of worshiping God, of learning from His Word. But then we scatter throughout the week. We we leave here, and we're really on mission. We've been been told that you will be my witnesses. We're we're seeing here the example of, 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 of Philip. And we have the opportunity to go out and share the good news, speaking to those now who have trusted Jesus. You are a believer in Jesus Christ. You you want to honor him with your life. And so I just simply ask you, will we then follow the example of Philip, where we trust God, where we're loving, where we're engaging, where we're declaring the good news when we have the opportunity? And I can't miss this opportunity to say to those of you who have professed faith in Jesus but have not yet been baptized as a believer by immersion. Why is that important? Because baptism ultimately pictures externally what has already happened internally. That baptism pictures a dying to ourselves, a burial of our old self, and being raised to new life in Christ. It's moving from death to life. Or some like to say from life to death, but that doesn't work very well. Have you declared this to be true in your life? And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've not been baptized, I hope you look at this again because we see it time and time again in the book of Acts. People came to faith in Jesus Christ and the very first thing they did was they were baptized. So what are you waiting for? Like the Ethiopian man, you might say, look, here's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And lastly, maybe you're here today and you're listening. Or you're listening, watching a video or whatever it is. And I want to ask you honestly, are you ready to believe? Are you ready to actually take a step and trust Jesus? To surrender your life to Him? To say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe that He died for my sins. Because you know that God has been at work in your life. That you're not here or you're not listening by chance. You're interested for a reason. There's been this stirring in your own life. And you're seeking God. Like those angels that came to the shepherds on that hill. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, that will be for you. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born, Christ the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we see some of the simplest Actions and descriptions of life in that early church and we might just tend to speed by it, not pay much attention to say, well, so what does that mean for me today? Lord, I pray that you would raise up Phillips in our church. That we would be people who Actively and intentionally share Jesus. That that is a burning passion and desire of our hearts. Oh God, stir that passion in our hearts. Do that in my heart. We've got good news. We've received this. We we, we sit here in the relative comfort of all of what you have blessed us with. and yet we're not willing to share that with others. Lord, forgive us. But Lord, help us to do something about it. And Father, for those who are here this morning, who are listening, who are interested, who have lots of questions, I pray that you would just continue to show yourself to them. And that they would come to a place, perhaps even today in this morning hour, and give their lives fully to you to surrender and make you Lord of their lives. It's indeed good news and great joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.